Well, hello, family. Man, I got caught up in that last song. I forgot I was preaching next. <laughs> I got to say, I got to be honest, it's really good to see so many people in the center rows. It, I mean, as it, it keeps me from doing a windshield wiper back and forth, twisting my neck the whole time. So thanks. That's great. Uh, grab your Bibles, open them up. Genesis 8, verse 1. Genesis 8, we're going to start in verse 1 today. Uh, we, Of course, we've been looking at the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis as a framework that's teaching us how to interpret all of uh, reality. Uh, this is the story of God, us, and the world, and how all of those facts stand in proper relationship uh, with one another. And today we're going to pick up right in the mid story of God, us, and the world, how all those facts stand in relationship with one another, and we're picking up midway through the flood. So to kind of get us kind of mentally back, back on track here and into this story, I want you to imagine this with me, okay? Death and destruction covers the planet. Picture this. There's dead corpses everywhere. Humans, octopuses, fish, deer. Okay? There's death everywhere. Everywhere. As far as I can see. There's no dry land anywhere to dock. Just think water everywhere. Uh, there's no life anywhere except this little family and a bunch of animals that are trapped inside of a ship that they can't even steer, propel, or navigate. Are you picturing this? This is their life now. This is their life now. Because chapter 10 hasn't been written yet for them. Okay? So here's, here, here's what I'm saying. It is impossible for these people to imagine their future because the world that they once knew is gone forever and they know it. Okay? So with that in mind, please give your attention to the reading of God's mm -hmm. word. The flood subsides, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. And at the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month, in the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of forty days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot. And she returned to him to the ark, and for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the face of the earth. 
Then he waited another seven days and set forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by the families from the ark. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Are you guys ready for the good news? Let's pray. Okay. Oh Lord, you say that all humans are like grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Help us hear accept and appropriate this enduring word. In the sacred name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Brave New World is a dystopian novel written by Aldous Huxley. It was published in 1932. And so that's right between World War I and World War II. Okay? Up to that point in history, most novels... Uh, They depicted a happy, uh, carefree, uh, better utopian society in the future uh, due to amazing advances in science and in technology, industrialization, and modernization. All these things were happening in the real world at that time. It looked as if nothing could stop humans from realizing a heaven on earth. And most novels actually reflected that kind of... uh, Uh, technological optimism about life and about the future. Brave New World is a full-on critique of that assumption. The basic plot is that humans have finally solved the riddle to what makes the world broken. Yay! Right? They've created this world through science, mass production, and intentional social engineering where life has now become painless for everyone, but ultimately meaningless. And therefore, it is a very crazy, it is a very maddening world for humans to live in. So here's my question. I I keep hitting this home with you guys week in and week out, especially when we're going to Genesis The Bible knows and answers the biggest, most significant questions that humanity asks. Amen? I hope you're seeing this. 
So, and here's my question for you, and I think it's what the, the Word of God is asking us. Which is it? Which is it? Is the future, is the future for the human race a utopian? A wonderful world? Or is our society hurtling towards a dystopian future? Which is it? Is our future world one where humans flourish brightly and fully? Or is it a world where we will eke out a post-apocalyptic scavenger existence? Well, the answer, as we've said many times throughout this series in Genesis, is, well, it depends. Right? The kind of future that you and I and the world is walking to, the kind of future we're walking towards, depends on who creates it. Here's what we're seeing in this chapter of Genesis. For those who trust in the Lord, a glorious, beautiful new life in a new creation awaits. That ought to make you smile today. See, today we're going to talk about the basis for this glorious future, the instrument that brings about this glorious future, and the implications of this coming future on the present and how we ought to live. Okay? First, this new creation comes only by the grace of God. This new creation that's coming, it only comes by the grace of God. We need to know that. It's right here in verse 1. The narrator says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. I mean, they started to go down. So, so getting into the story here, remember, we've talked about this. The world had been flooding for 40 days and 40 nights. That's nonstop. 40 days, 40 nights of just water coming from below and from above. Everything has been covered in this muddy, toxic, nasty water, right? And so everything living is no longer living. Everything is dead. I, have, I, I barely can comprehend that. I don't even know that I can at this point in the story, Noah and his family, they've been bobbing up and down on the water for 150 days. That's in addition to the 40 days and 40 nights and all the other. It's like, it's like uh, I mean, can you guys imagine that? Can you imagine being locked in your house for five months? Well, maybe you could after the last year we had. <laughs> maybe you could. But imagine being locked in your house uh, without high-speed internet, no Netflix, no DoorDash, and with all your neighbor's pets in the house with you. How about that? <laughs> all right? I just imagine that. Five months, additional five months of this. It said livestock, right? <laughs> Not pets. And so, yes, of course, yes, indeed, Noah and his family, they avoided the initial flood of God's judgment. But listen, here's where that, there's nowhere for them to go right now. There's nowhere for them to go. And they, if there was, they couldn't even get there if there was a place for them to go. Are you guys feeling this? Are you seeing what they're seeing? Even if there was dry land, it's not like the particular vessel God had for them could get them there. It doesn't have any like, holes for oars. It doesn't have a sail. It doesn't have a rudder. There's no way for them to navigate because you need like landmarks and stuff for that, right? 
I mean, they're going to be asking questions like this, like, how long before we run out of food and water? I mean, there are chickens on board, right? Okay? How long can this family last before the food and the clean water runs out? Like, they're essentially trapped in a floating coffin, a watery grave for an indeterminate amount of time. Remember, like, chapter 9 and 10 hasn't been written for them yet. And God hasn't been talking to them. He's been real chatty up to this point. The text says, but God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. And when that happens, things in the world begin to change. And this doesn't mean that God like momentarily had amnesia, you know, like he like literally forgot about Noah and the animals and the family and all of that. When this word for remembered is used, if you look at how it's used in other places within the book of Genesis, it is connected, this kind of remembering is connected to an act, an act of rescue by God. For example, God remembers Abraham and what happens? He rescues his nephew Lot from destruction. That's the result of God remembering someone. Uh, uh, God remembers Rachel, and she's able to become pregnant. Things happen. It's an act. His remembering puts action into the universe. Okay? He, God moves towards that particular person, and he moves towards them in a rescuing way, in a salvation, a saving way. In, in other words, he is reconciling someone back to himself and by extension to life. So we see like relationships really are, it's the fundamental building block of the universe. Judgment is not the final word from God for his people. That's what the text is telling us. It's a word, but it's not the word, the final word. There is a new creation coming. There is a new life to live in a new creation. Noah, and by extension, his entire family, they will experience this new creation only because God has acted in a gracious way towards them. God actively moves towards Noah in a way that rescues him and all the living things. That's the animals too. God cares about the animals too. He rescues them all from death. As believers, this means for us that we have a bright future ahead of us. It may look cloudy and rainy and overcast, but we have a bright future. It's real sunny at 30,000 feet. My brother-in-law is a pilot, tells me that. I asked him, how's the weather? He said, well, it's, it's a great day at 30,000 feet. And that's our future. That's our future. Our future is not dystopian brothers and sisters I want you to know that today doesn't matter what the movies are telling you or what the news channels are telling you listen to what God's telling you we will not be in some post apocalyptic world where we're all living together in bunkers rationing out rainwater and cold cans of beans and hiding from like radioactive fallout that's not the future God has for us 
for his people. This world will be renewed. It will be full of life with animals and humans and plants and trees and mountains and guess what? Dry land. Like real land. But we need to know that the basis of this glorious future is God's grace towards us. We do not earn this future. You and I have not earned this future. And we cannot build this bright future for ourselves all by ourselves. We are called to cultivate. We are called to garden. Yes, indeed. We can't do that all by ourselves. If we enter this new world, if we're allowed to experience this new life from God, it is only because God has blown the wind of his Holy Spirit over the waters of judgment and he has brought them down. He has rescinded that. It's only because God has blown the wind of his Spirit over us and brought our soul to life by grace. It's by grace that you have been saved. And guys, the fact that we have entered this new world as a new creation only by God moving in our direction, only by God moving towards us, that should impact how you and I right now interact with non-Christians and skeptics and doubters and other people. That future should impact how we act towards them right now. Non-Christians who are still living in the old world that's passing away. They're still living in the land of Adam. You understand what I'm saying? This should have a change on us. It should give us humbleness as people who have been graced by God and tasted, actually tasted that grace of God in our life. It should also make us want to invite them into the very grace that we've received and now experience. Amen? This is, this is not purely academic Bible study stuff, guys. This should affect how we live and go to work. And so grace is the basis for this glorious future. But what, what is the instrument that brings this future to us? Well, this new creation comes only through God's righteous man. That's the instrument. It's not a what, it's a, it's a who, it's a person. It only comes through God's righteous man. Look at verse 10 through 15. It's kind of long, but hang with me in these some particular phrases here, okay? And so Noah waited another seven days. So he's already been waiting. Now he's going to wait another seven days. And again, he sent forth a dove out of the ark, and the dove came back to him in the evening. And behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew, Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. He's got evidence, right? Then he waited another seven days and, excuse me, and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the 601st year, in the first month, in the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and looked with his own eyes, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. So in the second month, so another month has passed by, right? Then the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, 
We're going to put it all together here. You ready? The text is really emphasizing how long Noah patiently waited before exiting this ark. Everybody else in the story just recedes into the background except for Noah. Did you notice that? And at this point, Noah's been on this ark an additional five months. I think it's about 10 months total. No word from God, no further instructions. It's been totally silent. Have you ever been there? And so he takes it upon himself to send out some doves. He sends out a dove three times, and it says that there's periods of waiting in between each time. And, he, and then he says that he, know, he knows that there's dry land because he's got some evidence for it, right? Then he removes the roof, and he verifies what he already knows with his own eyes that the entire earth is, in fact, dry. Not soggy, but it's dry. And yet, despite what he knows and despite what he sees, Noah stays inside another, mark, another month parked on perfectly dry ground. It's only after God commands him to come out does Noah obediently lead his family and all the animals out of the ark. Don't you find that odd? Don't you find that interesting? Like, like let's think about that. what's going on there, right? I mean, think about like, what patience this guy must have. People say, you know, you have the patience of Job. I'm thinking, patience of Noah has got to be up there too, right? I mean, what trust in God, what, what loyal, steadfast obedience in the face of such intense pressures and intense anxieties that I'd be feeling, right? They're part, they're not bobbing around. I mean, like, how many times do you think his kids said, like, are we there yet, right? <laughs> like, we haven't moved. Dad, are we there yet? Can we get out and stretch? How about today? How about today? I mean, what did he have to bear up under, right? Noah trusted God, and he loved all that were in the, were in the ark with him enough to wait, to wait on the Lord. Listen, what's this telling us? Life, his life was not his own. It belonged to God. Isn't that what the, that's like the first question of the catechism. What is our only life, our only hope in life and death that we answer? We are not our own, but we belong body and soul to the Lord. And Noah is a great example of this. It is, it's like, it's my life, but it didn't belong to me. It belongs to God. This guy's acting like an instrument. You understand what I'm saying? Noah is, in a sense, truly a righteous, faithful man of faith. And it is very clear that God has used this one lone man, Noah, to be his instrument to bring forth new life and a new creation. This is the guy he's going to use. He's going to do whatever God says. And I know you may, what you may be thinking. You may be thinking, okay, well, that's good for those that were united to Noah. That's good for those that were in the boat with Noah. But what about me? Because I wasn't in that boat, and my life wasn't hitched to Noah, to righteous Noah, the man of patience and man of faith and obedience. So how does this glorious future become my glorious future? Like, how does that future come to me? Or maybe that I go to it and enter into it. How does that happen for me? And here's how. Because God has used another righteous man, a man that did not view his life as his own life but belonged to God. 
And God used this man because he was perfectly righteous. He perfectly obeyed every commandment. He perfectly trusted in him. This bright, flourishing new creation comes to you and to me through being united to Jesus Christ, the righteous man of God's own choosing, who is now perfectly, patiently waiting for God's command to make all things new. And is even now praying and interceding for us to prepare us for this new creation while we wait. Let's go to Romans 8.31. I'll show you what I mean. Paul says this, What then shall we say to these things? What are these things? Well, Paul has been talking about this bright new creation that is coming. Right, This new future, he's been talking about having resurrected bodies and, and who the sons and daughters of God are and this renewed creation that we're going to live in with these renewed resurrected bodies. What shall we say about all these things I've just discussed? He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all those things who shall bring any charge against God's elect it is God who justifies who is there to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised and who is at the right hand of God who is indeed interceding for us that means praying and pleading on our behalf And Jesus is busy right now for you and me. Isn't that great? So Noah was an instrument of God's grace to all who believe by being spared judgment and death, right? Jesus is God's better instrument of grace. How? Because he received our judgment and received our death. Noah brought all who were united to him into a new world. And then he died. Still believing, right? And Jesus brings all who are united to him into a new creation to live with him forever. Why? Because Jesus has already died and come back to life and he'll never die again. He's the true and better Noah. Does that make sense? This new life that we have and the renewed creation that we will live in only comes to us on the basis of God's gracious act towards us And yet it also comes to us through trusting daily in Christ. You see, salvation is by grace alone, and it's through faith alone in righteous Christ alone. And that's the gospel. That's the good news I wanted to tell you about today. That's the good news of Jesus and the future that he's bringing us into, and he's already brought it in part right now. So my question is now, is what do we do with this wonderful news? I mean, you've heard it. What do we do now with that? Well, we are to invite others into this future that's coming. You and I, our responsibility and our privilege and our job is to invite other people into this future that's coming. In fact, it's already broken in since Easter. Look at it here. It's in the text, verse 18, uh, 16 through 18. Now God's going to speak. Finally. God says, go out. Go out from the ark. So they've been in the ark till he says go. Even though it's dry land, they're just staying in their little huddle, right? 
He says, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. I don't know why he had to specify everybody, but apparently he didn't want anybody left in the ark. Like, everybody get out of the ark. (laughs) Bring out with you, get this, every, not thing, what is that? Living thing. That is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. That sounds a lot like what he said to Adam. Verse 18, so Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wife and follows them to the letter, like to the T, right? They all go. So here's what's going on in the story. God welcomes, even invites, he could even say even instructs and commands Noah and his entire family to go out into the new creation. It's desolate, but it's going to be beautiful. They're going to repopulate it and cultivate it and do what Adam was supposed to do. And notice that, that, that phrasing there. It's, very, it's almost identical in wording and grammar to what God used when he spoke to Adam that he, when he first created the universe and told him to fill it and cultivate and keep it. Fill it full of life. God doesn't want the world full of death. He wants it full of life. And Noah is clearly a second Adam in some sense. We're supposed to see that. And God says, get out of the ark, right? Three times this concept is said, is repeated to us as we read this, right? Go out, bring out, and he went out. God is saying this, I didn't just save you to save you. I didn't just save you to save you. I saved you to be my ambassadors to all of creation. Be ambassadors of this new life in my creation, my new creation. So get out. Get out. Bring out every living thing. Fill up my world full of new life. Procreate. Not just physically, but spiritually. God wants to see spiritual babies and spiritual life happening. Cultivate it so that it will bring forth new life and reach its full potential. This is what God is saying to us. And he said it to Noah. And and lo and behold, what happened? Noah obeyed him again. He leads his entire family right out of the ark and right into the new creation, and he brings all this new life with them. And the world's full of new life after a few generations. Listen, Crossway, I love you. So listen, God did not save you just to save you. I mean, rejoice in that, yes, but don't park on it. That's not the end game. That's the starting line. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, to be sure, he has given you a taste of being a new creation. He's given you a taste of what it's going to be like living in a renewed world with him. That's why we live differently. We live as the way the world will be one day. But here's why God did this. He did it so that you and I, together as the church, will invite others into it. 
2 Corinthians 5.17. It's a lot of verses, but just hang, hang in there with me, all right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, I want you to watch. There's this connection between creation, which is a fact, and reconciliation, which is a relationship. This is all through the Bible. I just want you to see it. He is a new creation. For the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this, this new creation thing, is from God. There's that grace basis part, right? Who through Christ, there's the instrument part, right? Reconciled us to himself. And more than that, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world. The world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you. That means we beg you. We plead. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Come back into that relationship with your creator. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want you to notice the connection that Paul makes between being a new creation and being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. New creation, that's the fact. That's the thing that happened, right? Reconciled means being brought back into the relationship. You can't even really know what it means to be a new creation unless you, like, you're in that relationship with God regularly, then you can really understand that. Salvation, it's a big concept, guys. Salvation means that the entire universe will be brought back into its proper relationship with the Creator, including people who believe in Christ. But it's going to affect everything. It really will be a brave new world. And not Huxley's version, like the real version. You understand what I'm saying? It's not going to be one that's created by human hands, but rather by Christ. All this is from God, right? So here's what receiving this future means for you and me. Because we've already had a down payment, a taste of that right now through the Spirit. But here's what it means for you and me. Here's the application point. If you've re truly received grace and if you become a new creation, then you are an ambassador for God's kingdom now. You know what an ambassador is? Ambassador lives on foreign soil and says, I represent a different nation. I don't represent this nation. I don't represent this sovereign. I represent a different sovereign in a government. We represent the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, and His grace and His gospel and the future that He's bringing, right? You are to tell the good news about what Jesus has done and what Jesus is getting ready to do. We're supposed to tell the whole world, guys, good news. We're good news people. We're not bad news people. Amen? We believe a dead man came back to life. Okay? 
We are good news people. Good news. The future is bright with Jesus. I don't care what the news people are telling you or the weather ladies telling you. The future is bright with Jesus Christ. Good news. This glorious, wonderful, bright future is definitely coming. It's certainly coming. So start getting prepared to live in it right now. Start practicing what it's going to be like because you're going to do it for a really long time and it's never going to change. You might as well get used to it now. This, do you understand what I'm saying? This is our, this is evangelism. That's all this is. You're telling people good news. People want to hear good news right now, by the way. They're primed for it, I'm telling you. The good news of Jesus proclaims emphatically that sin will be destroyed one day. The heavens and earth, they're going to be restored into their right proper relationship. And people will flourish. And animals will flourish. And plants will flourish. And new life will spring up. Every, it'll be perpetual spring. Everywhere. And by the way, death will be extinct. I know that's kind of an oxymoron, but death's going to be extinct one day. Sadness is going to be a faint memory. It's not even going to compare. There's some memories I'm ready to forget about. How about you? Well, you're going to forget about it one day because it's going to get swallowed up in life, in goodness and happiness. And, and, and guess what? Guess what? Anybody can get in on this. And that's what you're supposed to be doing. That's what our church is supposed to be doing. Anybody can get in on this. Our job as a church is to say to skeptics and doubters and people that don't vote like us and listen to our music and read the stuff we read, our job is, and people that are really cynical about everything, you know what cynica, cynica, cynicalism is? Hey, everything good's going to turn out bad, just you wait. That's cynicism. Our job is to go talk with people like that and say, come into this brave new world. Come into this brave new world. Come into this new life with us. We beg you, we plead, we implore you, be reconciled to God. Not just your, like, your soul, your whole person. Be an integrated whole person again and flourish with Christ through trusting in him. Look, that's our mission, Crossway, to leave our big, thick, protective ark and step out into the world to proclaim this new future to everybody in the world. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, thank you that you bring us good news for everyone that's got ears to hear that can hear it. We have good news. Help us get out and bring out life and speak about you in this glorious future that you're bringing. And anyone can get on, in on it. All they need to do is repent. They need to just turn away from themselves and turn towards you. They need to be united to you through faith. So Lord, would you spark something in our hearts? Would you change us? Would you help us trust in Christ? It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.